I'm Senator Paula Simons, and this is Alberta Unbound. Alberta's first Chinese pioneers arrived in 1885. That's 20 years before Alberta became Alberta and joined Confederation. And by 1910, there were distinct Chinatown neighborhoods in Calgary, Edmonton, Medicine Hat, and Lethbridge. That's a history I think most Albertans do know, but it's often something of a revelation to people from outside the province. Natalie Pond's family roots in Alberta don't go back quite that far, but almost. Around Edmonton, people know Natalie as a political commentator and as a young, active, and outspoken member of the Conservative Party of Canada, one who hasn't been afraid to be pretty public in her critiques of her own party. Back this fall, we sat down to talk, over Zoom, about her identity as an Albertan and a Conservative, and about the impact of the last few months on her own sense of self. Here's that conversation. So, Natalie, let me begin by asking you this simple question. Not so simple. Do you define yourself as an Albertan? Absolutely. Uh, it, being an Albertan has always been part of my identity, uh, without even really outwardly deciding that it needed to be. Alberta is where my grandparents and great-grandparents decided to settle when they immigrated to Canada from China in the early and mid-1900s. And it's, it's where my family is from. It's where we live. It's where we work. And it's the place that gave us a lot of opportunities that maybe wouldn't have been available elsewhere. And so, yeah, definitely being Albertan has been a part of my identity for my whole life. So how do you define being an Albertan? I mean, what does that self-definition mean to you? In the last few years, I feel like it's almost become a negative thing to define yourself as an Albertan rather than a Canadian. And I've never really understood that. Because to me, being an Albertan is as simple as being someone that lives in Alberta and calls Alberta home. I think recently it has taken on a more sinister or dark connotation um, where people are almost ashamed to be from Alberta for, for various reasons, whether it's they disagree with the politics of this place or, or maybe some other reasons. But I, I don't think it needs to be that complicated. I think you can simply be okay with the fact that you're an Albertan because you call this place home. I think a lot of people outside Alberta may not know how deep the roots of Alberta's Chinese-Canadian community run in this place, that there have been Chinese settlers in this province since before it was a province. So can you tell me a little bit more about your own family's origin story? I mean, do you know why they chose to settle in Alberta, in Edmonton, as opposed to anywhere else in Western Canada? Yeah, my so my family uh, is from the the Toisan region of China, a very poor part of the country, um, southern China, where a lot of the early immigrants to North America are from. And so if I go back through some of the records of, of my family's history, which there aren't a lot of, um, I actually was able to find two head tax certificates. Wow. So one of them was uh, from, I think, around 1911, and that was my great-great-grandfather. And then another one must have been dated 19, I can't remember off the top of my head, but 1918, maybe very early on in the 1900s as well. That was my great grandfather. And they, they came to Canada because it was going to be opportunity. 
the region and the villages that they were from were very poor. And that was the generation where uh, the entire village would pool together money to send one man from the village to Canada. And in return, he needed to send money back to the village to feed all of the other families that have basically pooled money to make this happen. And it was described as a risk to do this. You had to pick the one man in the village who would be able to tough it out, who wouldn't have made it a waste of an investment because I've heard those stories before where they send a man and, and he hates it so much he has to come home and they've just wasted all this money on the papers for this guy that couldn't cut it. And so my family's history is, is rooted in, in that and in that mindset of survival. And so as a result, my grandparents grew up in that generation of, you know, their father was in Canada working and their mother was back home with, with the two boys, um, raising the family, never really saw their father. And, and that's, that's the story of a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants as well who were of, of that same vintage. Right, um, who, got, who got trapped by the Chinese Exclusion Act and, and then the wives weren't allowed to come. Exactly. And, and, you know, we don't want to, to call it a broken family because it certainly wasn't. They were making that sacrifice for their family and family they'd never know, uh, but very much, you know, grew up without parents, so to speak. And so um, if we're continuing down the lineage, um, as my grandparents decided to, to uh, start coming to Canada, I think this is now um, approaching the late 40s and 50s is when the rest of my grandparents would have would have followed suit to Canada. And they chased opportunity. So I think about my grandpa Chow, who uh, owned a restaurant in Peace River uh, for the formative years of his life, a very popular restaurant there, the Golden Palace, that a lot of people have heard of. And uh, I, I think about his story and, and what it took, and he describes it as, you know, he came to Canada when he was, you know, quote unquote, 16. Of course, he didn't know what his age actually was. And he landed in Victoria and worked on a vegetable farm there. And hung out with his friends, got to eat and, and, you know, play in the fields all day. And it seems like a pretty good life until he realized that he wasn't making that much money and wanted something more for himself and for his family. So he went off looking for what that opportunity would be. And of course, in the 40s and 50s, there weren't a lot of opportunities for, for people of Chinese descent. So I think he made his way to Edmonton, where he worked in a number of Chinese restaurants here, learning, um, just taking in all the information he could. And then he searched for opportunities to open up his own restaurants in small towns. So the first town he tried to open a restaurant in was the town of Cynthia in Alberta. And uh, the, the story here in our family is that um, it was a failed endeavor. And it's actually the town that my mom is named after as a result, because they couldn't mess up on their second try with Cynthia. So my mom is actually named after my, my grandpa's first failed restaurant or business endeavor. At least no one's named Peace River. <laughs> well, he ended up in Peace River next. And, and it was a decision between Peace River and Yellowknife. I think, I'm not sure why. And I never heard that story from him in his lifetime of, of why it was Peace River or Yellowknife. Um, but that's where the opportunity was. And he ultimately chose Peace River because the CBC broadcasted hockey games to Peace River, but not to <laughs> That's the most Canadian origin story ever. <laughs> you know, there, 
there have been waves of economic ups and downs in Alberta and in Edmonton, you know, uh, the roller coaster that is the resource-based economy. And, you know, it's always a bit of a joke about who stays in Edmonton versus who leaves. And, you know, there are these t-shirts that people wear that say still in Edmonton. And I never like having to explain to people why I stayed here. You know, people go, oh, you know, why didn't you stay in Toronto? Why didn't you move someplace else? And I, I don't feel necessarily that people who live in other places get asked that question. So now I'm going to be the biggest of hypocrites and I'm going to ask you the question. You know, why did you decide to stay and build your career in Alberta as opposed to, to going someplace else? For me, it's, it's really twofold. My entire family's here for the most part. And that was really important to me to, to stay close to them. Uh, but second, Edmonton is just such an attractive place to put down roots and, and build a career and one day have a family for a lot of reasons. There's, there's so many job opportunities here. I'm, I'm a CPA and there's a lot of really great job opportunities that I can have here that you know may be difficult in other markets or maybe in similar markets, really, but for the cost of living that I have here for my job, I can have a pretty nice life. Um, I'm able to own property here at a relatively reasonable price. Rent yes. isn't, you know, out of out of the question where it's not possible to live here. And it's a combination of all of these things where it's almost like a small town with city opportunities. Um, it's the affordableness of a small town, but you know, as, as a CPA, there's tons of job opportunities for me. There's lots of corporate head offices that are based in Edmonton. There's, you know, big four accounting firms that are placed here and have offices here. Yet my entire family is also here. So it's just a combination of things that um, really makes me appreciate this place and, and call it home. And I look at my brother who has chosen to leave Edmonton, who lives in San Francisco now and, and the rent he pays and the cost of yeah. living there. And it's something that just, for me, I, I can't even imagine something like that. And I know that's the reality for so many people in big cities, whether it's San Francisco or New York or, or Toronto or Vancouver. Um, and it, it makes me really grateful that I can live in a place that has not only my professional opportunities, but the ability to build a really stable and, and you know, comfortable personal life as well. Yeah. You've been involved from a quite young age in conservative politics in this province. You're probably not what people picture if they're sitting in Toronto or Ottawa or Vancouver when they imagine what an Alberta conservative looks like. I'm guessing that you're not it. So can you tell me a little bit about your own political evolution? Definitely. So my political evolution, I think, happened without me even realizing it. Uh, growing up, my my grandparents were entrepreneurial. I talked about the small business that my grandfather owned, and and there were other small businesses as well. And and I think they grew up in a culture and at a time where there weren't a lot of social supports for for people that weren't Caucasian or weren't white, and they had to look out for themselves. And from that, almost grew this capitalist or um, fiscal conservative point of view because there was no other option. Yeah. And when, when they then raised their kids under you know, similar values and, and the next generation, which would be my generation, gets raised under similar values, I, I think it becomes more so a part of the history of how our family came to be in Canada that created those political views rather than what other people might call, you know, just Albertans are conservatives naturally. 
I, I think it happened because of, of survival and what they needed to do to survive. And so from a young age, those were always values and things that we were taught and we were told about the restaurant and, and the struggles uh, of immigrating here. And then as I entered teenage years and adult years, uh, I had some family members, specifically one uncle who was very involved in both the Chinese community, but also the, the PC party as well. And he wanted me to get involved. So he had me volunteering at leadership events and party events. And that didn't really tickle my fancy at the time in high school university. In 2013, I graduated from the University of Alberta. I was an accounting major and an economics minor. And I was just so fascinated with public policy and how governments impacted how businesses can operate day to day. And a friend of mine at the time was, was president of the Campus Conservatives. And we had met each other through Model UN in university. And he knew my beliefs and he just felt it'd be such a waste if I didn't test the waters and see if I even liked conservative politics a little bit. So he introduced me to a writing association president. And from there, I just got sucked in. I loved the policy aspect. Uh, of politics. Then the 2015 election came around and I was given a really amazing opportunity to be Kelly McCauley's director of communications for his campaign. And it was my first real campaign experience. Uh, Kelly put a lot of trust in a really young team and, and we won. And I was just so addicted to the, the idea and feeling of campaigning and politics. And I never left. So I like to say that I got involved because I loved policy, but I stuck around because I loved the thrill of elections and campaigning. But you have also not hesitated to call out uh, parties, provincial and federal, when you felt they were going in the wrong direction. So where, you know, where have you felt that, you know, that you needed course correction, I guess? Well, in 2016, I realized that the Conservative Party of Canada still recognize the traditional definition of marriage, uh, marriage being between one man and one woman as the only legitimate form of marriage. And that just didn't make sense to me at all. Um, it was 2016 at the time. Um, Same-sex marriage had been legal in Canada for over a decade. And it really bothered me that, you know, we had this policy book that had such an outdated belief in writing saying that we supported it. And so I spoke up about it. I thought, you know, I, I was naive at the time. I didn't realize how big <laughs> of a deal this would be. And luckily I found some amazing like-minded people that were around the same age as me who also felt the same way. And we were just horrified truly that this hadn't been something someone else had prioritized before. And so we took it upon ourselves to, change it and get rid of it. And a lot of people had told us it wouldn't be possible that the party wouldn't let it happen, um, that we'd get a lot of pushback. And, and we did get a lot of pushback, but it was so widely accepted across the party. Someone just needed to do it. Someone needed to go against, you know, what had kind of always been there and what the, the beliefs were and, and make that change. And it happened to be me and a couple other people my age. And I'm so glad we did it because I think it was important to to be one step closer to modernizing. And that's not to say that the policy book as it is now is perfect. It certainly isn't. But we made an incremental change 
that I think was important that that better reflected the the society we live we live in uh, and yeah we weren't scared to potentially alienate ourselves from other members of our party to make that change happen because it was important to us. But Nellie, we're having this conversation in the wake of a pretty um, upsetting summer. We had uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and some of the anti-Asian backlash that came with that. Uh, We had the Black Lives Matter conversation, which of course began in the United States, but spread to Canada and made a lot of people confront some of the issues of systemic racism here. I guess I feel a bit naive and stupid because I had honestly thought, I guess, in some part of my heart that the Chinese Canadian community was so rooted in Alberta, had been here more than a hundred years, that that anti-Chinese racism wasn't going to be an issue here. And then we had COVID and we had all these terrible stories of of racist incidents, people being screamed at in the street. I mean, Twitter was even more of a dumpster fire than usual. I mean, what did it feel like for you to see suddenly anti-Chinese discrimination uh, sort of out there very nakedly? I'll admit that it really opened my eyes to what a lot of other visible minorities face every day that I didn't necessarily have to growing up. Um, we talk about the the concept of a model minority and people of Chinese descent definitely fit into that, that category where they're othered, so to speak, but they're almost in a different hierarchy than perhaps other people of color are. And I, I was born and raised in, in Edmonton and I'll admit that I, I think that I probably experienced less racism than, than most people that are visible minorities do in their lifetime. Uh, as a result of the, the schools I went to, the friends that I had, the, the people that I associated with, we were all visible minorities. Uh, and, and so it was, it was a very sheltered upbringing with not a lot of racism. Uh, it, it happened, definitely, but it was so far and few between that it didn't really cross your mind. And so with everything that happened with the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the anti-Chinese racism that stemmed from that, I, I think it made me more empathetic towards racism faced by other cultures. And I don't like that it took this for me to understand it better, but it, it, it is what it is. That's what happened. And on one hand, I'm, I don't like that that's how that happened, but I think it was good for my own personal development and growth to, to be more empathetic towards what is actually happening in, in Canada and in the United States when it comes to racism. And from although it had to come from something as catastrophic as a pandemic, I think that this was a growing opportunity for a lot of people uh, with a similar cultural background as mine to be more aware of what we can do to make this a better place for all people to live. My conversation with conservative political activist and analyst Natalie Pawn, recorded late last October. 
Thank you to Natalie for joining us on Alberta Unbound, and thank you for listening. Alberta Unbound is edited and produced by Ame Charnalia. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends. And if you feel chatty, don't be shy. Leave us a review. We want to draw as many people as possible into this conversation. I'm Paula Simons. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay sane. Stay sassy. And I hope you'll come back for another episode soon.